Hello and welcome to the Irwin Mitchell podcast, here to keep you up to date with legal and financial news that matters to you. I'm Paul Henson, a partner in the property and real estate disputes team at Irwin Mitchell. I'll be your host today as we discuss ESG. For those who don't know, that stands for environmental, social and governance issues and are certainly the corporate buzzwords of the day. We'll be focusing in particular today on how ESG issues affecting the corporate occupier and investor markets in real estate, and within that, the office sector in particular. I'm delighted to be joined today by Robert Pearson, who's a director at Savills in the National Office's Greater London and South East team, and also Richard Starr, Executive Property Director at Palace Capital. Palace Capital are a UK REIT landlord with a diversified portfolio of properties across the UK, valued at £259 million. I understand Palace currently has 47% of their property portfolio invested in the office sector. Rob, who advises many corporate occupier tenants, both domestically and internationally, on their occupational requirements, and Rich have kindly agreed to share their views accumulated from their considerable experience of dealing with a number of significant corporate occupiers and how ESG issues might be affecting their thinking when it comes to increasing or indeed decreasing their occupational office requirements. So welcome, Rob and Rich. Thank you, Paul. Thanks, Paul. Okay, so as I say, our focus today will naturally fall mainly on the E for environmental aspects of ESG, but we will also discuss social and governance issues, as I know this is having an impact too, and both of you have some interesting thoughts to share around these areas also. So, Rich, we can just turn to the first question. Um, how much do you think the focus on ESG is affecting the corporate occupier market, uh, if at all? Or is it the old adage that location and location, location is still critical? That's a great question uh, to start with, uh, Paul. Location is obviously very important. Um, and they made a program on it on Channel 4. So we know it hasn't gone away. Uh, and it is, as you say, location, location, location. Um, and that is connected to ESG considerations, which could be proximity to public transport from a climate change perspective or a fitness centre, open spaces from a wellbeing perspective. From my perspective, um, advising corporate occupiers, both nationally and internationally, the requirement for uh, environmentally friendly buildings um, is is only gone has only increased. Location is still important because it's vital to attract and retain the talent that they need to operate from these locations. But uh, increasingly, the environmental uh, element of the business and the um, reputation within the in their wider uh, sector group is uh, becoming in- increasingly important and is of C-suite consideration. And this is trickling down to the heads of real estate who are identifying um, their real estate options. So, so Rob, just sort of sticking on that theme, um, would you say then it's the larger businesses, perhaps those with more significant financial resources, um, who are focused on the, the, the environmental impacts? Of their occupational requirements or or is it more widespread across all sides of businesses and, and and then just moving on a bit from that are there any particular sectors that are more focused on this um i know a number of companies operating in the real estate um, sector for, for example are demonstrating their green credentials by showcasing up-to-date and sustainable buildings that they occupy but is this something like small smes um give the same level of importance in your experience 
I, I think it's trickling down across uh, the whole breadth of the um, Occupy community, whether that is the large, large corporates. Often they are slightly ahead of it um, because they'll have dedicated teams in-house who are focused on recording, tracking um, the in- environmental performance of their business as a whole, of which the real estate has a significant impact. Um, often this is because they will be pitching to working alongside or have stakeholders in the business um, who have specific requirements and targets that they need to achieve. Um, And and consequently, they need to record this data and they look for their landlords to partner with them in order to do so. Um, The smaller end of the market, SME businesses, of course, they're focused in it. Um, They're probably more focused on growth um, of their business, but um, I think as a as a as, as a good considerate uh, human being, um, many are many are considering how their their real estate affects them. But um, I mean, going back to the first question, it is still location, location, location. You've got a it, it's all very well having the most uh, energy best energy performance building in 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 the world, but if you can't attract people to work from there, it, it's pretty useless to the to the to the to the company. Um, your point about um, people making noise about uh, the buildings they operate from, yeah, I mean, I mean, a really good example. It's a little bit old now. Is Deloitte in Amsterdam, who operated from a, a really energy uh, efficient building. Um, it was uh, pioneering in its time, and they made uh, a great showcase of what they were doing and, and built a reputation in the market off the back of that. Um, but it's not only you know externally shouting about. Often, when they're you know, businesses are, are procuring or procure, going out for procurement uh, on contracts. We're increasingly seeing companies being asked very um, detailed questions about uh, the impact of their business on the environment. Thanks, Rob. Um, Rich, have you got any thoughts on that? I do. And there's a lot of what Rob said that I agree with. I mean, improve. So you asked, is it just larger businesses who are more um, focused on this? And in, and obviously, um, real estate businesses have tended to lead the way, uh, but smaller companies are catching up, uh, recognizing that ESG is not just a nice to have, but actually commercially important. And I can touch on that again in a second. Um, is it sector focused? I think we're focusing more on the impact it's having in offices, um, mainly because uh, the the way it's being seen is through improving environmental performance and reducing the impact uh, that that companies have, whether it be large or small, because the real estate sector effectively is contributing approximately 40% towards the global emissions. So it, it is our responsibility to lead the way. Um, and the office sector is is definitely getting that focus because of the capital expenditure I think that's required to bring buildings up to a carbon neutral um, level, which is obviously what we're all really aiming for. Um, and that actually, from an investment perspective, is also going to make things better for real estate companies over time as we're seeing that debt for investors will become cheaper for those properties which are effectively carbon neutral or getting to, or working their way through there. Um, and then finally, I think there's more and more legislation 
and stakeholder pressure in place to encourage all companies to reduce their environmental impacts. Um, and I think that's probably then once we've reached a point where landlords are engaged, it's how we get tenants engaged too. Uh, and and making sure that they're doing what they can do in terms of reducing their carbon cost. Yeah, thanks both. I think we'll, we'll, we'll touch on some of the legislative changes um, a, a, a bit later. Um, I think just let's focusing back on the corporate occupier um, sector at the moment. Um, Rich, what do you think are the main sort of drivers behind businesses wanting to relocate at present? Um, is it, you know, working patterns changing after COVID? We all know that hybrid working in offices is becoming increasingly popular. Um, or, as you know, I think both of you have touched on, is it things like employee pressure on the employees to relocate to more sustainable buildings? Or indeed, is it suppliers, stakeholders, regulators? Is that pressure coming in to bear in, in, in the decision making uh, as to relocation? Uh, you, you know, does ESG have any effect at all in that equation, I suppose, is my, my question. Rich, you start with that one, and then we'll go to Rob. It's a combination of factors, Paul, from both an employer and an employee perspective. Uh, employees are looking for a more flexible working pattern as a result of COVID. We've got used to working from home, but there's no doubt that we've all accepted and acknowledged that we're actually uh, better collaborating face-to-face -face than we are through a computer screen. So I think that's really something that we've all accepted, but we all want to protect ourselves from from potentially catching COVID. Of course we do. And so employers are looking at that flexible working pattern and they want better facilities to, to, to draw them into the office. And tenants are expecting, occupiers are expecting landlords to to improve the properties in order to do that. And over time, we've been seeing, as a, as a, as a landlord, we've been seeing a much more hotel-style driven service that a, a landlord is providing for a tenant. And it's, it's very much a collaborative experience. I think over time, landlord has definitely uh, seen the tenant as just paying rent and not had a relationship with them. And that has definitely changed. And much of the current workforce includes a millennial generation now. They are driving the sustainability agenda and they are forcing tenants and occupiers to make decisions um, to be able to attract those people to work for them. And that is what's driving it. It's not just now about, oh, I'm going to get paid the most amount of money if I go and work in X company. It's do they have a social scene? Can I do Pilates? Am I going to be able to work a few days from home? Are they going to have that flexible arrangement? And as a result of that, so employers are, employers are looking for more flexible buildings. They don't know how their space is going to adapt and change because it's new for everyone. And that is ensuring that we are all responding to increased demand uh, from investors, from regulators, from tenants, effectively to provide improved, sustained environmental and social buildings. Yeah, th thanks, Richard. I actually went to um, uh, one of your well-buyed Savile's um, corporate occupier uh, days a few a few years ago, Rob, and, and, and you had a presentation there about the importance of um, biophilia. Um, so putting plants and things around build, uh, around offices because it has a, 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 a great effect, as I understand it, on the well-being of employees. But presumably, 
Rob, you're seeing other things that uh, uh, occupiers are now sort of wanting in their buildings to to attract talent. Um, and as we all know, there is a bit of a war for talent at the moment. But um, do you have any other thoughts on on that question that that, that Rich just covered as to um, you know the main drivers behind businesses wanting to to relocate at present? Yeah, it it all comes down to. Um ensuring staff satisfaction and maximizing where is reasonable uh, productivity in office uh, slash the return to work. So um, what we're seeing on people relocating is businesses really getting under the skin of their uh, usage of occupational space so that they are taking the right amount of space and not too much. Often this is resulting in a downsize given what's happened in the last few years with COVID, but we're seeing those occupiers take grade A accommodation um, in 90% of um, deals that we're seeing across market. This means that they are paying a higher headline rent, but perhaps total occupancy cost um, once they downsize in square footage is the same. So so why are they doing this? They're doing this because of Wharf talent to get people into the best building, to shout about their green credentials, to um, piggyback, for want of a better word, off the back of whatever a um, innovative uh, landlord is doing, whether that be the Pilates studios, which Rich, Rich mentioned, um, gym spaces, um, or even you know there's there's certain buildings in the states where there, there's a whole plethora of uh, events that the landlord puts on as part of the service charge so your hr de- department can effectively feed into that um that is that is the current driver it's it's all about getting the right real estate to progress and be productive in the business in 2022 and beyond Thanks, guys. I mean, um, that comment you made there, Rob, about the total occupancy costs segues quite nicely into another question I had, which was around the soaring energy prices at present. Um, and obviously, all corporate occupiers can, can can make potential savings from more energy efficient buildings. But is this a, a, a factor, do you find, for the tenants? Because in our recent uh, Owen Mitchell corporate occupier survey that we undertook in, in February of this year, uh, 44% of the respondents who labelled themselves as large businesses um, said actually they would pay higher rents for offices that had a reduced environmental impact and that reduced their energy bills. I have to say this was in February before a lot of the, the, the significant uh, uh, energy price increases were, were, were being seen. Um, do you think that if we redid that survey now, the, the uh, result would be the same. I mean, are employers now looking to scale back their investment in new energy efficient buildings, or you know, are they still thinking, no, we want to go somewhere which is you know fulfills our ESG criteria, it's more sustainable, and reduce our actual occupancy costs? Yeah, I mean, if if you take an energy efficient building. It, it goes without saying your energy costs will will go down, which is a, a positive for someone when considering a building um, by comparison to a building which isn't um, performing uh, in in such a way. Now, is it a big influence? 
well, I think it's an influence, but when you take into account the total occupancy cost of real estate, whether that be facilities, business rates, security, IT, um, service charge, the rent, um, it actually becomes quite a small drop in the ocean by comparison. Um, clearly, every little helps, so there'll be there's there's pressures on it. But I think you know perhaps more of the reason to go into an energy efficient building is you know the reputation the stakeholders points and the legislative stuff that's coming down the line that we've already touched on um i mean there is a bit of a pressure on people identifying buildings that they want to go from an environmental perspective Savills have recently done a survey on this um, and we reckon that 87% of the existing office stock in major UK markets has an EPC of C or lower. So um, these these buildings that we've talked about so readily today might not be as available as as one thinks once you actually go out to the market looking. Thanks, Rob. Rich, are you, are you seeing any sort of pushback from corporate buyers about you know energy costs of the building or is it more that uh you know it, it, as rob sort of said that, that being able to, to tick your e of your esg criteria by by occupying that space is more important to them well i think it's it's very interesting isn't it and i agree with a lot of what rob has just stated that it, all the answers that we've given so far all feed into it it's it's the larger occupiers we're thinking about it more than the smaller occupiers it's the larger businesses that are having to think about it as rob says reputation is is vital legislation i've touched on it in terms of companies have also got debt and if they can get cheap, cheaper debt by saying that they're working from better uh, from energy efficient buildings than they will um and i think this is where that collaborative approach between landlord and tenant is working in terms of tenants saying we will come to these buildings we will pay better we will pay higher rents if we can have better space that cost that you talked about at the beginning of increased cost um that we've now been seeing across the uk europe across the world of um whether that be from climate change or from uh, other other reasons um those are all having uh, an impact on developing and creating these spaces but built companies in my opinion will pay higher rents we've seen it in our development in in york a hudson quarter development where prior to um, us completing a speculative scheme of 40 odd thousand square feet in the center of York, top rent was 18 pounds. And we, we've we recently achieved 27 pounds 50 for the best space in that building. And that tenant has then spent, uh, 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 done a fantastic fit out actually, which when we asked um, the occupiers, when we asked the employees, what do they like about it and how often do they come to the office? They're there five days a week and they like to come as quickly as they can early in the morning to get the best space. Um, and, and and the tenant's done a fantastic job there. And that proves that tenants will pay for the right space. And as Rob also indicated, that there's just not a lot of this space that's going to be available. And I think that's what's going to probably drive rental growth in this sector over the course of the next two to five years. So it's, I think it's very interesting space. 
yeah, you can definitely see the economic benefits then from from a from a sort of investor landlord perspective of, of, of these buildings. And then just going back to what we were touching on earlier, the some of the legislative changes that are, are coming. Um, I mean, our listeners might be aware, but last uh, year the government released a few white papers, um, and it seems clear, obviously subject to whoever our next prime minister might be and their approach. But the travel on uh, the direction of travel on minimum energy efficiency standards, which are known as MEES, uh, is likely to be that corporate um, office buildings are, are likely to need an energy performance certificate rating of B by 2030. Now, I think there's likely to be sort of less demanding milestones along the way. Um, but, um, Rich, I mean, are, are developers and investors starting to realise the impact this might have on some of their older sort of what I call secondary and tertiary assets, um, because some of them might become stranded if they can't be upgraded to the sufficient energy standards at a proportionate cost, and presumably you'll have to take a, a view on what you do with those buildings. Absolutely, and it's formed part of our reason why we've sold some of our buildings that we don't think will comply to where it's estimated or anticipated that uh, that ratings will get to, but you know the the the, the MEES is, a, is is at the moment yes it's a widespread recognition that many commercial buildings need to become more energy efficient and probably in a really relatively short space of time, i within ten years. And as if Rob's says that eighty seven percent of buildings have a C or or lower, then that's obviously going to have quite an impact. And comes back to the answer I gave uh, about where we're seeing some why we're seeing some growth coming forward. Um, most new developments that are being developed are going to be BRIAM excellent, outperformance, uh, but it takes time and, as I said, is costly to make improvements to older stock. Um, and it's not yet actually clear whether these improvements will be reflected uh, in higher valuations or improved improved returns. Um, and that's why aspects such as access to green finance are going to be so important to investors in order to ensure that they are delivering uh, sector perform, se sector beating returns. There's two points worth considering here. Because we don't know what EPCs are going to look like in the future, we need to look at actually what is the actual energy usage of a building rather than just what is the perception for an auditor, an audit of that particular building. And that will require much closer collaboration with tenants because they will need to supply that data to allow landlords to then potentially improve buildings and know exactly where that is. But as always, that's where the market opportunity is. Businesses and funds uh, are, are, are establishing themselves in order to look for properties with low EPC ratings where they think that they can improve and modernise them in a short space of time to get returns, something that I think we're focused on at Palace. Yeah, thank, thanks, Rich. Rob, have you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, when you advise for a, a corporate occupier um, taking a lease today in 2022, you know, the 10-year lease still exists. It, it's not dead. 10-year lease break at five. A lot of people talk about increased flexibility, but I'd say, you know, a lot of my deals still are 10-year leases with breaks at fives, which means that there'll be an occupation of these buildings in, could be an occupation of these buildings in 2032. So at the point of an occupational transaction, you've got to be very considerate about what 
the government are talking about legislative standards uh, in 2030. Um, there's still a bit of a grey area around, you know, what what knock-on effect that is to the occupier. Um, and therefore, you know, you've really got to understand how you can go through increments of improvement in the time that they are occupied in the lease uh, of of a building under the lease to to get to 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 where the government are indicating they need to get to, um, and where also where that cost lies. You know, is that a service charge cost, borne cost, or is that going to be a landlord improvement? So there's significant scrutiny at the moment um, from the educated tenant on signing a lease today that takes them into this area of uh, uh, everyone agrees, you know, and a, a gold standard of achievement um, for the built environment. But whose cost does that sit with? Yeah, I think I can certainly see some disputes coming my way around service charges in that area, Rob. That's a really good point. So we've touched on the either environmental aspects of the equation, um, but just in terms of the social and governance part of the equation, um, Rob, I know when we've spoken before, you, you found that um, the ownership and governance structure, for instance, of the actual landlord is now becoming more of a relevant consideration for corporate occupiers. Um, and it's, you know, it's another thing that they look into like any other supplier in their supply chain. Um, is that something that's becoming more prevalent? Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And, and there's a fairly live example I can give that demonstrates, uh, I think, the direction of travel. And it was from this year. We, we were advising a, a large American corporate who was shortlisted to um, grade A office buildings, both environmentally um, tick the boxes. Um, and it actually came down to, and, and both were in a very similar location. So we had to, to really... Um, Get into some granular detail as as to why we were making decision on uh, on either on either relocation. Um, we started asking additional questions beyond the um, standard EPC BRIAM, whatever it might be, on on the environmental element, um, such as is there the ability to recycle in the building? Is there the ability to compost? Not all buildings do. Um, and then beyond that, you know, this we then started talking about the uh, the actual landlord who we were partnering with, um, and we really needed to understand from them what the um, what their how their business operates. So we were asked to uh, get information on the gender pay gap, um, on their investment into the local community beyond. Um, beyond just building this building and you know they wanted to see that the partner the real estate partner they uh, worked with was investing into local community beyond that and their legacy was was beyond the the building that they were going to sell um once the building had let up so um their view was environmental is now a given that it needs to achieve that in for in order for us to even come um and we, we, we're partnering with uh, 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 someone on our supply chain who will be paying in excess of £1 million a year. And we want to know that they're of good standing. Um, so, yeah, no, it's, uh, it's increasingly coming to the forefront of, of, of my discussions anyway. 
Rich, do you want to add anything further? Yes, thanks, Rob. So, I mean, as a REIT, it's very important for our investors that were engaged with both social and governance. Um, the social aspect is already front and centre for new developments, community involvement, local employment, suppliers, local charities, etc. And we're starting to see greater considerations for this in existing in buildings. Tenants are also increasingly becoming more focused on how landlords act and behave and be looking for evidence of this across a landlord's policies. Um, so that's the government's the governance side of things. So their lease arrangements and how they're organised as a business, how we how we as a landlord are organised as a business, will then give due consideration to occupiers to ensure that we are meeting our ESG um, at both leadership and board level. So uh, Rob and Rich, thanks so much today for contributing. I think that's been a really interesting canter through ESG issues and the corporate occupier market. Um, and that's it for today. So thanks for listening to the Owen Mitchell podcast. If you found it interesting, then please join us for our next episode. Thank you.